So we are in the book of Acts today. Um, before we dig into the passage, I want to remind you that uh, wherever you sat down today, hopefully there was a Connect card um, on your seat. And the reason that we have those is not just because we like to keep track of people. That's not really the motivation at all. The desire for the Connect cards is that you guys uh, would have an easy opportunity to share with us what the needs are in your life so that we could pray for those things specifically. So whatever's going on in your life, Love the opportunity to pray for that by name, um, not just guess needs that are in your life, but actually know them. Uh, so today, please fill out that Connect card, whether you're a visitor with us, whether you've been here a million times, um, and you can drop it off in the back of the room. There's a table with free books, free Bibles, um, and an offering box as well. You can drop your Connect card just right into that offering box before you go. Um, the other thing I want to say before we um, have our passage read is that our toddler room lead, um, Kaylee Appel, is reading our passage for us today. Kaylee does a wonderful job um, orchestrating and leading the toddler room um, for all of our young kids. Um, and so today, as we turn to Acts chapter 9, um, we are in uh, verse 10, Acts chapter 9, verse 10. Glad that you're here with us as we're continuing this series through the book of Acts. Um, I'm going to invite you to stand with us. And we're going to read this passage out loud. And we stand at Maranatha out of reverence for God's word. So if you're able, please stand with us. Acts chapter 9, uh, verse 10 through 19. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus, named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen a vision, a man named Ananias, in, come in and lay his hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard of, from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief of priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have a seat. Let's pray together. Father God, we are grateful today for the grace you have shown us in Jesus Christ. We're grateful today for your word. Lord, even as we read at the beginning of our gathering today that your word is perfect that the law of the Lord is sure, that it is clean, that it is without fault, that it is, Lord, everything a reflection of who you are, and so it is great. And so as we open your word, God, as we open the word that you have inspired and preserved through the ages that we might know you, Lord, help us to know you. Holy Spirit, be our teacher today, and let the words of our mouths and the meditations of our heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So today I want to remind us where we are in the story of Saul. All right, throughout the book of Acts, 
these characters, different characters kind of enter into the stage at different times. A few weeks ago, we were talking a lot about Philip, and we went through things that he did for a few weeks, and then Philip kind of rode off into the sunset, and now Saul has become a more prominent figure in the book of Acts. Last week, Jeremy was preaching about Saul and the conversion of Saul, how um, the time when Saul came to see Christ, right? He was If you don't know this about Saul, he wasn't exactly a likely convert to Christianity. He wasn't exactly the one that you thought was about to become a believer in Jesus. He was, if you go back to chapter eight, he was the the known man who was persecuting the church. It even says he was ravaging the church. He was attacking the church. He was all about trying to stomp this church of Jesus Christ out as quickly as he could with as much violence as he could. And he was doing a really good job of attacking it. And so Saul is not even content to stay in Jerusalem. He hears about believers in Damascus, and so he asks for permission to even travel a long way just to go find more believers and attack them there. And so that's the road that he is on as Christ confronts him and knocks him off of his horse and on to the ground. And as he says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is I, the Lord. And in that moment, Saul realized that he had been blind the whole time to the reality that this Jesus of Nazareth Nazareth was, in fact, the Messiah that he was persecuting. But even though he was blind to that reality before and he sees it now, God actually ironically leaves him physically blind even though spiritually his eyes have been opened. And so last week, Jeremy talked about how the, the, the main point of last week was really the fact that God's power shows up to save even the worst of sinners by his grace. And this week, uh, the, the real central theme for us, the real central thing for us is that God's power doesn't only save, but it also uses sinners by his grace. God's power doesn't only save, but it also uses sinners by his grace. If you want to remember one thing, it's the one phrase that's been in my mind um, for about two weeks now, because Jeremy preached last week, so I had two weeks to, to look ahead to this passage, and the phrase that's stuck in my head over and over and over again is this one phrase, he is a chosen instrument of mine. We're going to talk about what that means today. So Paul, or Saul gets introduced here in verse 10, starting in verse 10, this introduction of Saul, not to us, but to Ananias. And God says in verse 10, um, look, Ananias, there's a man, this is in verse 11, sorry, rise and go to the street called Straight and look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, which is an interesting way for God to introduce Saul to Ananias because Ananias definitely knew who Saul was, right? You find that out in the very next verse. He says, oh, Saul of Tarsus, I know that name. But God doesn't introduce him anymore as Saul the persecutor of the church, the attacker of the church. He says, Saul of Tarsus, it's a different guy that you are going to meet. Now, Ananias understandably asks for some clarity about this command. Look at verse 13, Lord, you can hear the, I hope we can hear the, like the trepidation, the worry in Ananias' voice. Lord, Lord, are you sure? I've heard from many about this man. I've heard how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And even here, he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. You can, if you were in Ananias' shoes, I think you would say much the same thing, Right? If God said, I want you to go and find this guy, picture whoever you think might be the, the worst person to go meet. 
And he says, I want you to go find them. I want you to lay your hands on him and pray for him so that he can be, he can receive his sight. And he says, God, I know who this guy is. I know that he has persecuted not just men, but women too. It says in the verses before he was throwing men and women in prison, which in that day was pretty uncommon to not only um, imprison men, but to imprison women too. So he is imprisoning men and women. He's attacking your church. He has even approved of the murder of multiple saints. He has done everything he can every day since the resurrection of Christ to try and demolish everything here. God, are you sure you want me to go and talk to that guy. Are you sure I can go and talk to that guy, the one who has attacked this church? Think about how much evil he has done. Think just for a moment, people in your life, that if God told you to go and speak with them, if we're honest, we might have a reaction of, God, do you know how much evil they've done? I don't know if I can. I don't know if they deserve it. But God responds to all this by saying, not that anything is untrue. Instead, he says in verse 15, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So God says, yes, all that is true. He essentially um, grants that to Ananias based on the fact that he doesn't rebut any of it, right? He doesn't, he doesn't quibble with Ananias about, oh, it really isn't that bad. He hasn't really done that much evil. He's really not that scary. He just says, go. I know all that's true, and I want you to go because he is now going to carry my name. And he's not only gonna do that, but he's gonna suffer for the name that he once persecuted, He's gonna suffer for the name that he was once attacking. There's two amazing things about this, this little verse right here, these two verses. The first is that we have to remember that being a chosen instrument of God, being useful in God's service and in his work has nothing to do with a lack of suffering or a presence of suffering. So you might, you might suffer specifically for the name of Christ or you might just have the regular suffering that is common to all human beings living in a broken and sinful world. But either one of those things does not mean that you are not a chosen instrument of God and it doesn't mean that you're not being used by God. It doesn't mean that you're not loved by God. Saul was all of those things and yet Christ still says, he's gonna suffer for my name. So church, do not let suffering cause you to doubt the fact that your God loves you, that he has purposes for you, that he is doing good things through you, not even just on the other side of suffering. We like to get to the other side of suffering. Our day and age, we love to be overcoming and on the other side of suffering, and that's when we think we see the goodness of God. No, God has good things in the moments of suffering. And he points people to himself, not just on the far side of suffering, not just when your life is good and happy and easy again, but even in the midst of suffering. The second amazing thing about this verse, I want us to think about this, this guy that was just labeled a chosen instrument of God. Saul, persecutor of the church, Pharisee of Pharisees, the one who later on in the book of Acts said that he sought to put this way to death by as much violence as he could. He is labeled a chosen instrument of God. 
I, I really like music, I really like drums, I'm a really bad drummer, but I really like the drums. And sometimes when I'm, uh, Rachel was making, my wife was making fun of me the other day because we were listening to a song and we got to this part that I really liked the drums in. And so I turned it up and I replayed it, I think two or three times at least. And she was just laughing at me because it was kind of a nerdy thing to do. But there are some things that are so great and glorious that when you hear them, you're like, oh, I gotta hear that again. I'd like to hear that louder. I'd like to hear that clearer. And when we read this verse, I hope it makes us pause and stop to think for a moment, wow, I need to read that again. You probably think, if you've been in church for a while, you have a great deficit here because you probably think of Saul as the Apostle Paul who wrote all the great letters and who did all these great things for Christ. Here, right now, that is not Saul. Saul is literally a murderer. Saul is literally an attacker of the church. If he was alive today, he would be public enemy number one, that we would do everything we can to avoid him, to not be found by him. And God says, he is a chosen instrument to bear my name to Gentiles, to kings, to the people of Israel. That's an amazing an amazing insight into how great and infinite God's grace is for a sinner. So don't rush by that. He's no longer Saul of Tarsus, the Pharisee, the persecutor, the one who was, chapter nine, verse one, breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He's no longer that. He's a chosen instrument of God. He is God's workmanship. He takes this man who is traveling from one town to another to attack Christians, and instead, if you remember the story from last week, he knocks him down, he knocks him down blind, and then he says, you are gonna go into that city, but you're gonna go in there, and you're gonna wait until I tell you what to do. And we see Saul as he deals with the reality of Christ. He is, um, he's fasting, right, out of this desperation he must have felt, right? His whole world just came crashing down. And he's realized how much sin he has committed. So he's fasting and praying to the Lord. But listen, I don't want us to just understand how amazing that is for Saul. The really vital thing I want us to understand is that it's not merely the plan of God to save Saul from all his wickedness and to take Saul out of all that and then make Saul a glorious um, um, instrument for his name. What we have to understand today is that the chosen plan of God is to take all kinds of sinners and turn them into chosen instruments for his name. It's not just Saul. It's you and me. Amazingly so, it's not just Saul, it's you and me. We need to see the parallel today of this story of Saul to our own lives. Jeremy encouraged us to do that last week with the the actual moment of conversion of Saul and we need to see it further here today. So I don't care how horrible your resume is before Christ. And I don't care, God doesn't care how, how how much sin you have committed, whether it's been um, even literal murder against the church. It doesn't matter how many times you or I have sinned. It doesn't matter how many things we have to be ashamed of. It doesn't matter how many things we wish that nobody ever found out about. It doesn't matter how many times you desperately, you desperately wanna keep all of those things secret because they're just that bad. It doesn't matter how many regrets you have piled up in your life. This is the story that we get to embrace. It doesn't matter if you feel like you have a lot on your resume before Christ or a little bit. 
So you might come in and you might think about the grace of God and you might think of yourself as truly worse than Saul. And you might also come in and you might think of yourself as really not all that bad. You like look back on the testimony, the story of your life and you think, you know, actually, God has kept me from a lot of those things, right? I didn't do all these things that I could name, all these horrible, horrible things. But the reality is it doesn't really matter. Every single one of us, every single one of us, all of us, as Romans chapter three says, all of us, we're fallen short of the glory of God. All of us has sinned against him. Romans chapter three even says, as it quotes the Psalms, uh, that there is no one who seeks after God. No, not one. Everyone's turned away. Everyone's gone after worthless idols and have become worthless. So it doesn't matter if you feel like there's a lot on your resume or a little bit. The same story is true for each of us, that all of us needed this grace. As Romans 3 says, yes, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, yet all are justified, what, church? Freely, freely by faith in Christ. So today, do not, I wanna repeat that, do not disqualify yourself from following Christ. Do not disqualify yourself from being a chosen instrument of God or coming to Christ because you feel like there's lots of things that you ought to be ashamed of. You don't have to disqualify yourself from coming to Christ because of how many times you have messed up. You don't have to disqualify yourself for all the wasted years that you feel like are in your life. You don't have to be ashamed of yourself because after all, Christ had to do so much to save you. Because you think your past is too great or listen, because you think that even in the present, you don't have things together right now the way that you should. Maybe right now you are an absolute mess. Maybe there are all kinds of things in your life that you need to repent of, that you need to walk away from. You are still not disqualified from Jesus Christ. God's grace is greater than all those things. As it says in 2 Corinthians, God made him who knew no sin, Jesus Christ, to be sin on the cross so that we would become the righteousness of God. What that verse is saying and maybe confusing words is that on the cross, what we see is that Jesus Christ took on the entire identity of a sinner. He took on every single ounce of it so that when God looked at, the, at Christ on the cross, he saw your sin, he saw my sin, he saw all of the penalty that was due for sin against a holy God. He saw all of that on Christ and he put it all on him so that when instead of your record being your record, instead God could give the righteousness of Jesus, the perfect, unending, eternal holiness of Jesus, he could give all of that to you so that when he looks at the cross, he sees your sin crucified, and when he looks at you today, he sees a righteous, chosen instrument in Jesus. Do you have any, you have any grasp at how radical that miracle is? I know it's like the, it's the very core of our faith, and so it's easy to just move on for it, move on from it. So today, see that you are a chosen instrument of God. He, from all eternity past, knew exactly who you would be, knew exactly what you would do, knew all of those things, and he said, I'm gonna love that sinner. 
I'm gonna make that sinner my own. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have my son pay the price for that sinner and not just, not just to save them and then do nothing with them. Instead, I'm gonna save them. I'm gonna take what was once following after sin, what was once doing everything it could to sin, and now I'm going to turn that into a worker of righteousness. I'm gonna turn that into somebody who is free from sin and useful for carrying my name. So you today are a chosen instrument of God. I don't care if you're young, if you're old. I don't care if you are single or married. If you have one kid, two kids, three kids, four kids, we have some families with even more, but I won't keep counting. I don't care if you have no kids. Whoever you are, believer in Jesus Christ, you are a chosen instrument of God, which means he has purpose for you. He has important purposes for you. There's three things I want us to to follow in on the last verses in this text. See that you believe in the grace of Jesus Christ. So if you do not trust in Christ, you have to see that this is all true if you trust in Christ. None of this is true if you do not trust in Christ. I care about you enough to tell you the difference between those things today. You must believe in Jesus Christ and what he has done on the cross. And listen, when you believe in Christ, church, I want you to believe that you are actually forgiven. I want you to believe that you are actually forgiven. You are no longer what you were. You are a new creation in Christ. Even as Stephen prayed earlier that we would live into that freedom for which Christ has set us free. I want you also to believe that you, God has showed you his grace so that you can show his grace to others. That's why he saved you. It didn't just instantly take you to heaven. He has saved you, he's shown you his grace so that you can show his grace to others. And, that, and also believe that that mission is best carried out alongside other believers and not simply by yourself. Look at verse uh, 17 through 19 here. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fall from his eyes to confirm for Saul, I think, the the truth of this message of Christ. And he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. And even in the next verse, or in the next um, paragraph, maybe in your Bible, for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. So what does Ananias call this murderer when he comes into the room? Brother. Brother Saul. And what does he do for him? Baptizes him in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? Baptism is this covenantal proclamation that God makes to us that says, you are mine. So he's given a new title of brother. He's given a new identity in baptism. And then what do the disciples in Damascus do? The ones that he was traveling there to persecute them, what do they do? They let him come in. They let him walk in the door. You think about how hard that would have been? To trust God's grace enough to let someone like that into the door? But they understood that their testimony was just like Saul's. At the very bottom of all of our stories, of all of our stories of coming to Christ, the very bottom is all the same. 
Every single one of us, completely lost, completely helpless, like Ephesians chapter two says, by nature, children of wrath, following the course of this world, following the ruler of this world, and pursuing sin, every single one of us, helpless, and yet God in his grace raises up sinners through Jesus Christ to be set free. So all of our testimony, I don't care if you feel like yours is fancy or not, all of our testimonies, listen, are the exact same. And it's, it's really important that that is true. And we have, to, we have to actually delight in the fact that they're the same because if they were different, then it'd be really easy for us to get into some kind of weird, we like to compete about things, to get into some kind of weird fight about like who's a better Christian based on who has a more extreme or more cool testimony or maybe who has a less extreme and less cool testimony, right? You might, you might be somebody who's grown up in church your whole life, you've always been a pretty good kid, pretty good adult, and it might be tempting for you at times to look at people who have come to Christ and were extremely messy and maybe are extremely messy because you've forgotten that your testimony is the same as theirs. And so they recognize that, so they welcome him in because they know that if God has welcomed somebody in, it's our job to welcome him in as well. And God wants to show his glory, not just through individuals, but through the church as a whole. If you don't believe me on that, read Ephesians chapter three this week, Ephesians three, one through 21. It says over and over again in there, it says two really important things. The first is that in the church, God is making his wisdom and glory known to the world. The church, not the individual, not the Christian, the church. And then at the very end of that section, it says, to God be glory in the church. The way in which God, the, the primary means by which God is using sinners, redeemed sinners in this world to reach this world is through the, the beautiful, wonderful relationship of the church. And we have to embrace that. One of the things we talk about as sort of a, a core value, a really important thing for us as a church plant is that we wanna have a distinct Christian community. A distinct Christian community, one that actually looks and tastes and feels like heaven because of the way that we embrace one another because we've been embraced by God. The way that we suffer with one another because we have been redeemed alongside that person. Because the scriptures say that we are made into one body, that we mourn with one another, that we celebrate with one another. We want to be a church that is not just a church but truly and honestly a family. And that will only happen if we believe that this is all true. That'll only happen if we believe, yes, I was as helpless as them, and God brought me in. God chose to love me. And so when he says, hey, I love this person too, we just say, okay, I'm happy to love them as well. Because listen, embracing those who come in and don't have it all together, we, that is something that is absolutely vital for us, because our bond with fellow Christians, especially within our own local church, this is true for the church as a whole, but even within our local church, the bond between fellow Christians is not based in our understanding of the third and fourth tier doctrines of the faith, right? The really tough things to figure out in the Bible. The things which Christians, Christians can disagree about. Our, our unity is not based in the fact that our, our histories are similar, our families are similar, that our skin color is the same, that our, that our age group is the same, that our life situation is the same, that we even just like being around each other. We just get along easily. Our unity as Christians is not based in any of those things. It's not based in the fact that you have a, the same career as somebody else or that your house, um, your kids seem to like their kids or anything like that. It is based solely on the fact that you have been given a brand new identity in Jesus Christ. 
and it completely, listen, completely redefines everything about you. Because listen, you don't want your old identity. That might sound scary, but you don't want the old one. You don't want the old one. I don't, I don't want the old one. I don't want, by nature, children of wrath deserving of destruction. I don't want the old one of fallen in Adam's sin. <laughs> we want the new one. We want the new one of forgiven, free, made into sons and daughters of God, delighted in by the Father, raised up and seated with Christ in the heavenly places so that in the coming ages he might make known to us his grace, the eternal riches of his grace through Jesus Christ. That's what we want. And if we want a church that tastes and feels like the kingdom of God, we have to truly believe in that. Because in Christ, you and I go from that child of wrath to his workmanship, his great work that he has completed. He's created us in Christ Jesus for good, God-glorifying works, Ephesians 2, chapter 10, that he has created beforehand that we should walk in them. Because God's grace not only redeems you from your sin, it not only buys you back from sin, it also redeems you to carry his name forward. So wherever you are, Canal, Winchester, Groveport, Lithopolis, Columbus, Grove City, we're spread out all over the place. Pataskala, I don't know, anybody wanna shout anything else out? No. Wherever you are, listen, you are the chosen instrument of God to reach that place. Maranatha is built on this. It's not about the organized church reaching your neighborhood coming up with really good, fancy things to reach everybody around you. So often, we often, I do this too. Man, I wish the church had more presence in my neighborhood. I, I am my church's presence in my neighborhood. You are church, your church's presence in your neighborhood. That's why God has you there. You are his chosen instrument. And yes, we do that as we link up together as the church. It's even one of the reasons we have community groups. That's one of the reasons we do all of those things. But we are given, listen church, you are entrusted with the message of this king, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the son of God and the savior of the entire world, the second Adam who kept the law of God perfectly when you and I had broken it, yet he still went to the cross and died as though he was the one who broke it. The Christ who raised up and said that all authority was given to him. The Christ who was buried so that our sin could be buried in the grave, yet he then overcame death and he left our sin in the grave as he rose up over it victorious, as he rolled back that stone and rolled death back on itself. And then he says, the risen Christ, all authority is given to me, therefore go and make disciples of how many nations? All nations. Every single inch of this earth is Jesus' territory. Go into all nations and make disciples of them, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, and I am with you always to the end of the age. That king with all authority, amazingly so, is the same exact king that says, listen, if you are thirsty, come here and find water. If you're weary, come here and find rest. He does not say, if you are already righteous, Come and get a little bit more. He says, come if you're weary, if you're thirsty, if you're broke and you're spiritually broken, come and find life without cost. 
so that all those who come and trust in his work on their behalf would have true, eternal reconciliation with God. So that today, remember this, God has brought you out of darkness. He has brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light so that you would be his workmanship that proclaims his glory to the nations. Let's pray together. God, you are a great and merciful Savior. Lord, your mercy knows no end. And we are grateful today that we get to receive it. Lord God, I pray that you would open our eyes daily to see um, how humble we ought to be in light of how great our need is. But Lord, also please be quick to comfort us with the truth that you have surpassed that need by your grace. And in Jesus Christ, we have everything that we need. Or may he be our song. May we be useful chosen instruments in your hands. We pray all this in the name of the Son, the power of the Spirit, and to the glory of God our Father. Amen.